everyone. Today we are doing a stream on how to start learning art history. If you are looking to strengthen and flex your art muscle, ArtProf is the community for you. We have tutorials, critiques, and more, and it's all for free. Clara, would you like to get us started? Yes, a quick reminder that our fall raffle is going on for a few more days, and we are so happy that a very generous donor is going to be matching your donation up to $2,000 through tomorrow at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to pledge, do it now because it's going to double your pledge, which is incredible. Now, art history gets kind of a bad rap. I think the stereotype of art history is that it's very stuffy, it's boring, it's all about memorizing dates. Deep D, where does that come from? Well, I think it's how we're taught art history. I was taught it in high school and in college, and it's very old and very white and very European how things are taught. And it's kind of a shame because that hasn't been updated in, in years. I really find that even today I talk to students and that's how they're taught art history. And I don't think for, you know, the global, like, community that's very exciting and relatable. And I think that we need to diversify how we learn art history. The other thing that always surprised me, Deepti, is art history is so separate from studio art. I taught at a liberal arts college that had a department that was called art and art history. We were literally in the same department as the art historians. We had faculty meetings together. But honestly, in terms of curriculum and learning, they may as well have been in Pakistan. It was so not related, which I don't understand. How can you separate them like this? Yeah, I think that studio art is seen as like creative and there's a lot of like artist voice put into it. And then art history is like very academic. And there's like, it feels like you're in like math class sometimes. Like you memorize the dates and you do, you know. Um, but I think that the, I personally had such a hard time in art history class because I'm a visual learner. And it was just so hard for me to like remember a name with a piece and a date and all of that. And I think that if you overlap and integrate your studio practice with art history and learn it in a way that makes sense to you as an artist, um, it's much easier to retain and also learn the value of art history and why that could help you as an artist. Tell us in the chat, what has been your experience with art history? Did you ever take a class? Have you tried to learn it on your own? Let us know. Just wanted to give a huge shout out and thank you to Amaris for this super sticker. Thank you so much. We greatly appreciate your support. Now, Deep Deep, this is the textbook that I used when I took art history as a freshman in art school in the 90s, a long time ago. And the other thing that I just couldn't believe is I remember flipping through this book and thinking, there's this whole one inch of this book that is art from Africa and Asia. And we just, whoop, it just, we just didn't cover it. I was like, really? Those two continents? don't matter. And so art history, I think, is just starting to wake up at how not inclusive they have been. And it's a really big problem. People are starting to maybe think about it. But it's frustrating to me that such an exciting topic, history and art together, could have that reputation. And so we're here to make it fun and make it accessible and digestible 
so that it's not overwhelming because the traditional way to teach art history was chronologically. I mean, what's your reaction seeing these art history timelines that are everywhere? It's so overwhelming and it just doesn't even make me interested in trying. I would say um, it just feels like I'm looking at a textbook or I, I don't feel inspired by looking at this. I feel nervous and nauseated, um, which is not how art history should be. Because like you said, Claire, it's so exciting to think about history and art and the overlap and how art influences, you know, culture and how that, you know, translates into other cultures. It's really exciting and fun, but I really don't think it's taught like that. <laughs> There is definitely an advantage to learning chronologically because oftentimes the movements that follow a certain art movement are very much a reaction to that movement. And oftentimes it's really important to contextualize the time period, what was going on in science and culturally and stuff like that. But I think most people who are learning online, they're not taking a formal art history class, don't really have the headspace to say, okay, let's start at 50,000 BC and work our way <laughs> to the 21st century. It's a lot to do. So what we've decided to do is give you all a way that you can custom tailor learning art history in a way that's fun, that's digestible, and that you don't have to dedicate 50 hours to really understand. So Deepti, what are we saying by work backwards? So this is how I started learning art history on my own. And it was just what I did naturally. And I was like, oh, this is a fun way to teach it. And what I mean by that is to start by finding something that in your current art practice or your current life or something contemporary that inspires you, and then dig into that and see what inspired that artist or see um, how you can work backwards and start learning about history from a, a present standpoint. So here's a great example of how artists through time influence each other. So we're actually starting with Giger, who is a well-known artist for doing the Aliens movies designs. And I looked him up and saw that he was really influenced by Ernst Fuchs. I don't want to say the mm -hmm. F word. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know how to say his name. Anyway, so he was influenced by him. But then this image in the center is actually an image of Laocoon and his sons, which is this very famous Hellenistic Greek sculpture. And so what you can actually do as an artist, find the artists that you're interested in and then do some Googling and see where they got their inspiration from and then see where they got their inspiration. Because isn't it phenomenal, Deep Deep, to see the overlap? Like this is Song Kang, who is actually in Deep Deep's freshman class at RISD when I was teaching. And then Piranesi on the right-hand side. Like, isn't it so cool to see the connection? Yeah, and it's like amazing to see it side by side. And I guess, you know, looking at songs, I wouldn't think of Piranesi immediately, but then seeing it side by side, it's like, oh my gosh, of course, there's so much overlap. And it's just so cool to think that work from the 1700s could be influencing a 20-something-year-old artist today in America. <laughs> This is one of my favorite contemporary artists, Shazia Sikander, who had training doing Persian miniature painting. She went to a school in Pakistan that focuses specifically on this technique. And she has really taken such an incredibly new, fresh, contemporary take on that traditional painting technique. And it's just wonderful to see how all of that works. 
Because as Moses says here, all art is connected. That is such a great phrase to see how things relate to each other. And sometimes people don't even know. Like Deep D, a lot of people may see this Rolling Stone cover by Kadir Nelson. They, oh, that's an awesome cover. But they may not know that it came from Delacroix's painting of Liberty Leading the People. Yeah, and I think that um, that's just such a cool way of like learning about an artist, but also finding ways into art history that are inspiring and relevant to you. Because I think that's the main hurdle with art history is that it gets boring and it gets overwhelming. So what this working backwards method is, is just to find a way to make connections that inspires you and a way to dig into history that inspires you. And what the inspirational seed is, is just picking something that you already like. I would also say don't limit yourself to just fine art. For example, this is Julie Heffernan on the left, who is a contemporary painter. She was influenced by Fantine Latour, but actually the film Midsummer looks just like a Julie Heffernan painting. You see it everywhere once you start to notice these things. Yeah, I don't even know if Ari Oster, the director of Midsummer, was inspired by Julie. But when I saw this image that you'd put in, Clara, I was like, oh, my gosh, there has to be overlap, you know. So in some ways, it's not even about like finding those actual like so-and-so was inspired by so-and-so. It can just be at looking at things and making those connections and seeing where that takes you. Tanya R says, my attention honed in on the arts in my regular history classes, but never had an actual art history. Most of ancient history is depicted only by art. I love learning history through art. Well, contextualizing all of this artwork is really important. You can't look at this work and just forget about the politics or the culture or the place, because a lot of this work is influenced directly by the events of that time period. And I just find it endlessly fascinating. But I think this is a good way to start because it makes it feel more like it's about your interest. Because Deepti, I'm sure there must have been a moment in your art history class where you're just like, oh, why are we learning about all these Byzantine people? They all look the same. Yes. I mean, I had a really hard time staying awake during my art history classes. And I will just say it was a, because I was exhausted in art school, but B, because yeah, I, I found it to be that kind of, it's like when you're in pre-calculus, you're like, when am I ever going to use this in my life? Um, and that's how I felt about art history. I was like, I'm never going to remember this. I'm not going to remember this as I walk out the door. It's just not a learning method that works for me. <laughs> well, I had to go back and almost relearn everything to teach in my classes at RISD because I always tried to have a slideshow at least once every class. And I really had to brush up because, I mean, I did the work and everything, but it always felt like grunt work. It, it never felt fun. And I really wish that art historians wouldn't look down on a lot of art forms because this is a really cool article that we use. The link is in the video description below. Deepti, you found this article. So what does this article say? So I am a filmmaker, obviously, and I love when we see like art history or uh, just like kind of like really iconic images put into film in a humorous or just unique way. So this article I found, I was looking for these images that recreate paintings um, and I found some really, really fun ones. Uh, this film about Schmidt is a 2002 film that's 
recreating the death of Marat, which is like such an iconic, iconic image. Um, and I think it's really funny because if you were watching this film, maybe you wouldn't know that right off the bat. But then when you see it, you see both artworks in a completely different light. And you know what's strange, Deepti, is I think because of the way popular culture and social media is organized now, very often people are seeing this and they don't even know that it's a play off of a David painting. A lot of people might look at the Kehinde Wiley image and say, oh, that's Kehinde Wiley's piece. And I've noticed this with my kids, especially because they watch South Park and The Simpsons and stuff like that. A lot of it is caricature and satire. And we oftentimes have to explain to them, no, 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 this is from this movie, it's a play. And I just think that's the strangest thing to see the parody before the original. Yeah, I think it's a lot. It a lot has to do with um, social media and just how much we're consuming right now. Um, so it's true that a lot of people don't give credit sometimes or, or it's just like, you know, you see an image and it's not like plastered like this was, you know, taken from the death of Marat or like inspired by obviously they're not going to put that in the movie. But I think a good practice is if you see something that has like a tinge of this kind of uniqueness or bizarreness or like even in Squid Game, that image that you had shown earlier, Clara, with the staircase, like that felt so out of place in the broader scheme of just the visuals of the first episode, I would say. I'm not trying to ruin anything, but it's definitely a, a bizarre image related to all the other images. And I think you could probably just get that sense and be like, hmm, I wonder who thought of this and like why? And I think that's a great way to start digging and exploring. Absolutely. And sometimes the inspiration is just technique. For example, this is Durr on the right-hand side, who I don't know how he made these engravings, DD. I'm like, he probably had some like little magic machine in the background that he was using when nobody was looking because, oh my gosh, how could any human being engrave a piece like this? But then I think about my former professor, Andrew Raftery, who I think of really as a modern day Durr. He's one of the few people that practices engraving because it's incredibly difficult to do. His subject matter is totally different, but it's so interesting to see how his engraving technique has been influenced by Durer's, but also how it's different. And so making these connections, not just in terms of subject matter or time period, but also media, because paint is different now. Animation wasn't even around <laughs> many centuries ago. And so there's all these ways to make these connections. And sometimes the connections are not even that far apart. Like Jenny Seville was not really that much younger than de Kooning, but he was around and he definitely influenced her. Like, how do you see de Kooning and Seville's painting on the left? I think especially it's like um, color palette, but also like brush strokes and energy of marks, I think have a huge influence on Seville from de Kooning. Blue Wolf says this happens in music too. When you see the boomer singing along to the new song, you wonder how they know the words remake. <laughs> That's so true. Because kids are like, yes, that Total Recall movie. I'm like, yeah, the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're like, who's that? I'm like, no, you guys are killing me. I feel me. like that's happening with Dune right now because everyone's stoked about the Timothy Chalamet Dune. <laughs> and they're like, yes, what? There was a... The <laughs> Who knew about the old one with Sting and Kyle MacLachlan and all that stuff? It's such a trip down history lane, I suppose. 
or Deep Day, you're a film buff. A lot of people who have watched The Untouchables, a very hot film in the 1980s about Al Capone and Elliot Ness, who eventually took him down. This is such a weird scene with the baby carriage falling down. And you're like, what, what is he thinking? And then you see Battleship Potemkin. You're like, oh, I, I get it. So this was actually deliberately an homage to Battleship Potemkin. This was not an accident. He meant to do that. What do you think about that when artists are saying, hey, I am paying an homage to Battleship Potemkin? I think that's so cool because it's like the artist literally telling the audience, like, go watch this other film or go look at this and go read into this. It's like they're handing you a guide into their psyche um, and into the like pre-production of their film. And I think that's you can see that in so many films. It's honestly like uh, endless, which is really cool. Brittany says, so many songs these days are remakes. It's so crazy how much things pop up over and over again. Well, there's a lot of talk about, oh, no art is ever original. Everything that's been done has been done. And yeah, that's true to a certain degree. But I love that people are playing off of history. That this whole, I got to be 100% original. And nobody has done anything like me. Like, come on. I think it's amazing that this sculpture has so much in common with these Egyptian statuettes. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's there's clearly you're you're as artists, you're always gonna get influenced by other people. And I think that um that's just part of the joy of learning about art and being an artist is the kind of connections and the way that you are inspired and then remake and add your own style and flavor into things that you've been exposed to. So I'm curious, tell us in the chat, who are some artists that have influenced you as an artist? Because I just think sometimes people don't make the effort to really search for art history because Instagram is so easy and it's handy. We're gonna tell you later on about Instagram sleuthing, which can be very helpful, but I think you have to go beyond that and start seeing, okay, an old Japanese woodblock from the 18th century influenced Vic Nye, who is now a very popular editorial illustrator, and then bring it down to earth with SpongeBob. What's going on here, Deep D? <laughs> I was like, when we were doing this stream, I was like, Squidward, Squidward makes so many self-portraits. There has to be some funny stuff that the SpongeBob creators threw in. And I saw this frame and I was like, that is so derivative of Chuck Close for sure. But you know, if you're watching, Spongebob, you can definitely find this connection on your own, even if you don't know Chuck Close. And then I started looking into Chuck Close and I was like, I wonder who inspired Chuck Close. And I learned that Pollock did. And then I was like, I wonder who inspired Pollock. And then I learned that Miro did. And then I was looking into Miro and I found this hilarious still <laughs> from The Simpsons, which is like a nod to Miro. So we're back on animation. So we kind of came full circle. But um, that was just me kind of putting my mind into the let's dig into art history. But like within 15 minutes, I, you know, discovered if I had never heard of these artists before or rediscovered or dug into all of these artists and then landed back on The Simpsons, which I thought was really cool. And honestly, it's easy to do. I mean, this is not something that was time consuming for you to figure out, right? Well, no, it's it was fun because no teacher was telling me to do it or it wasn't, you know, just 
looking into French painters from the 1700s or just someone that I'm not feeling connected to. SpongeBob is one of my favorite TV shows that I grew up on. So it was already the seed of excitement. And then uh, to think about the painters and writers creating the Squidward Chuck Close inspired thing is just so fun for me. And then you're already invested. So I think that's like, that's the key with art history for me at least. And that's what you would miss out on if you studied art history chronologically, because you would just say, okay, Byzantine, medieval, Roman, and then you're not going across centuries and countries and time periods. And yes, it is more chaotic to learn it that way. But I think given people's limited amount of time and resources, you do want to study it in a way that really is customizable to your own needs as an artist. Let's talk about another way to study, which is to search for themes. So for example, this is probably one of the quintessential art history themes, which is the Venus. Deepti, what is the Venus as just a basic theme? Isn't it just like a, like a pure woman? Naked, reclining. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually it. <laughs> like a very soft looking naked woman. Yeah, and just the female nude in general is something you just will see everywhere in our history and contemporary art. And what I think is really interesting is seeing the subtle differences, not just stylistically, but also in terms of the pose. Or even this one, which is by Ang, the French painter, that her eye is going in that direction. But then we also have Velazquez. She's not looking at you. She's looking at herself in the mirror. And then we also have Renee Cox, who's wearing, well, not Renee Cox, but the person in the photo is wearing red stiletto heels on this bright yellow piece of furniture. And it's so fun to see those differences because how could Renee Cox not have thought about the history of all these Venuses making this photo? Yeah, I mean, it's clearly a huge nod to Venus, but I think also the additional uh, elements of like the red stilettos, the bright couch, and like this kind of like whip looking thing um, are ways of kind of critiquing or um, developing the thought of the Venus who in these like, you know, very old depictions tend to tend to be kind of um, in my in my interpretation, pure and, you know, like this idealistic woman. Well, and things also change depending on the time period, because I mean, in today's world, at least in the fashion magazines, the desirable female form tends to be fairly thin, not in 25,000 VP. I mean, they were all into this very large, voluptuous female form because it represented fertility. And actually, I was shocked that the Venus of Wollendorf is tiny. Have you ever seen it in real life? No, where is it? I think I saw it at the British Museum. I could be wrong, mm. but it's so small. I mean, because it was intended to be almost like this little keychain that you just carried around with you in your hand. <laughs> and I just love learning about those little things and how it's so different looking at Micheline Thomas's Venus that you see here on the right-hand side. So it's just so much fun. Lisa, how did you know that this image of Venus would involve smartphones. <laughs> What's your take on this, Deepti? Raj Shast 
directly pointing to Botticelli's Birth of Venus. I think it's hilarious. I think the interact, like it's such a strong commentary on society today and just like, um, yeah, I think it's hilarious. And it's so clear what the nod is too, because, you know, there's so many clear lines between the two images, but then it's reinvented in like a very humorous kind of uh, strong opinionated way. <laughs> and there's so many themes. You, you can pick whatever theme you want. A really common one is Adam and Eve. I mean, basically anything that's biblical is going to have just centuries of content for you to go through. And some of them are so surprisingly different from each other. Like, I actually find this one by Lucas Craddock, the Elder, sort of creepy and ew. Like, I don't know. It's, it's a little... <laughs> there's something about their faces. That, I mean, I know they were up to no good anyway in the biblical story. But look at how different the atmosphere is in the one on the right by Barry Mosher. Yeah, the one on the left, the animal is actually freaking me out a little bit, but it's like kind of creepy. But the one on the right looks like, yeah, the mood is completely changed. Um, the kind of darkness of it gives it a bit of a like ominous element, but then the figures look like they know what they're doing or where they're going and are very free. So there's definitely um, two completely different narratives in my opinion. And it goes to show you that a lot of this content, it just never gets old. I mean, people are still doing stuff about Adam and Eve. We have the quintessential one by Albert Durer, which is an engraving. I did get to see this in the print collection at the Metropolitan Museum in New York. It's tiny deep deep. It's like Xerox paper size. And it's an absurd amount of detail. I'm like, screw you, Durer. You're so annoying. <laughs> and then you have like Robert Crumb, who's a comic book artist. And this is, again, where I think art history has made the mistake of really drawing territorial lines. Like, they would never talk about comics in an art history class, do you think? No, I think because comics are so contemporary to people that it doesn't uh, belong in art history. But I think that's a huge flaw because... I think everything like we've talked about multiple times overlaps and influences and it's all cyclical. Like you can start at SpongeBob and end up at the Simpsons, but touch on Pollock in the middle, you know? Um, so I think that it's good to open up art history to things that even exist today, like song who is currently a practicing artist, you know, because you never know all that world that will take you and what that will open up. So Deep D has another trick for learning art history, finding new artists. We're going to call it Instagram sleuthing. So Deepti, tell us how Frida Kahlo led you to Amrita Shergill. Well, so Frida Kahlo is an artist that everyone has heard of who's amazing, but you are kind of beaten over the head with Frida Kahlo growing up and in art history and as a female painter. Um, and so I was like, there has to, when I was in high school, I was like, there has to be other painters who are women who are making self-portraits. Um, and I'm Indian, so I looked into Indian artists and I learned about Amrita Shergill and I love her work. Um, I think she's very talented and it just is a way for me to connect to an artist on a deeper level because we come from the same cultural background. And I think Instagram sleuthing is interesting because if there's an artist that you like, you can go to their Instagram account and look at who they follow. Um, and so for me, I follow the hashtag of Amrita Shergill, and then you can just click on that and then be exposed to a bunch of information about this artist. And I think that that's a really good way of also like finding new artists 
to dig into is start somewhere. Start with an artist that you follow on Instagram that you really like and see who they follow. See what hashtags they follow. See who like has a blue check mark next to their name that they follow. Maybe they're an artist or a curator or a gallery. You know, it's always to open up your eyes to art history. I mean, Instagram is a huge rabbit hole of artwork. That's why I try not to actually tap on the search icon unless it's for pictures of Benedict. But the rest of the time I try to stay off <laughs> because it's like an hour will go by. But I like this idea, Deep D, of not just looking for contemporary artists, people who are alive on Instagram. And if you look up Frida Kahlo, you probably could find other people that are somewhat similar because Degas not on Instagram. I'm not going to find him that way. And so this is a sneaky way to work around that but also do Instagram, which is fast and very convenient to use. Yeah, and about, Instagram also, uh, sorry, last thing is Instagram also can organize things by the most recent images. So you might be exposed to things that are less popular than if you Google, you know, because when you Google Amrita Shergill, you'll see her most relevant popular work. But on Instagram, you can go through recent images that were posted and see what was recently posted and might be lesser known. Now, this is one of my favorite websites, Artsy. They have tons of great visuals. I'm oftentimes surprised, Deepi, that I'll go to like a major museum website and it's just a wall of text. I was like, are you serious? You think I'm coming to your website to read an essay about David? I'm like, dude, I want to see a picture, okay? And <laughs> I think Artsy has figured it out. I think they realize that people are there for the images. And I find it very easy to find what I want on this site. So what is this artsy hunt prompt? So artsy hunt is like, like you said, I love artsy too. And I think it's a website where you can literally just go on it and then just be guided into a vortex of art history. It's laid out in a way that you can look up by genre uh, or like medium. You can look up by artist time period, and they'll give you a little bit of text to introduce you to the subject matter, but it is heavily based on image. And um, it's like a labyrinth, like you can just get lost in there. And I love it because you go on their homepage and they have emerging artists and three, you know, cool mediums that you can check out. Um, so it's very user friendly and it's really easy to get stuck in there, which is fun. Let's talk about some art history prompts because you can certainly do all the things that we were talking about earlier in terms of searching. But sometimes it's nice to have a little short exercise that you can just stretch your thinking muscles a little bit without uh, taking an exam. Thank goodness. That is one of the best parts about being an adult, never taking an exam. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one prompt. It's very straightforward. We just call it compare and contrast. And basically you take two images that have some type of relationship. So in this case, these are both masks. So one is from the no period in the 18th century. And then the one on the right is a Native American mask. So Deep D, if we were to do compare and contrast, we'd start up by saying, okay, what's similar about them? So tell me something that's similar about these two. Um, I think that they both have pretty clear, exaggerated expressions um, are similar in both of them. And then I could say, well, here are some things that are different. For example, the texture of the Japanese mask on the left is very smooth and very round. The one on the right is very coarse and almost gritty looking. And what you can do is just 
write a list in your sketchbook. Just quick little things, does not have to take a long time. And sometimes it's fun to do it within one artist. So for example, these are two paintings. They're both of the Supper at Emmaus, which is a biblical story. The one on the right was done first, and the one on the left was done later. I think I have the date switched anyway. <laughs> Deep Deep, what is similar and what is different here? Some similarity, well, one similarity I see is the eye lines, like they're all clearly listening or looking at one thing or one person. Um, and the differences could be lighting and mood in both of them. One kind of has a darker, more uh, heavy contrast and the other is a bit brighter and warmer. And sometimes it can be totally random. I was just like, hmm, let's do a sculpture of a dancer. <laughs> All right, let's pick one from India. Let's pick one from ancient Greece. And really, this is, again, where you can compare based on your own needs. Like, Deepti, you could totally do this with two animations, one from a long time ago, one from today. It does not have to be your typical fine art. I mean, I know this is. But sometimes it's fun to do two that are sort of close. Like this is the same subject. They're both of David. And Bernini was really only 100 years later. He was not that far away from Michelangelo. So compare and contrast can work when things are like really close and when things are really different. It just gets you to start to acknowledge some of those things. Now, Deep D, another thing I tell people to do is, listen, if you're learning about history, put it in your sketchbook. Why does that work? Well, you're going to revisit your sketchbook. And when you put stuff in your sketchbook, I feel like it's kind of like stamping it into your brain sometimes because it's not like it exists on the internet. Now it's like in your sketchbook and you can walk around and carry it. Um, so it feels a little bit more personal and permanent. So this is where you can use artprof.org to help you do this sketchbook collage prompt. If you go to resources and then you click on artists, it takes you to the session, which is just a dump of artist names. Yes, I know I'm missing 10 billion names on here, but this was just what we could do with the time that we had. They were organized by genre, by different subjects and time periods. And so this is just a list of children's book illustrators. This is one on contemporary sculpture. And what you can do is just pick a couple of these names, look them up. So for example, this is a sculptor, Rashid Johnson. And if you decide, oh, I really like his work, write down his name, and then write a list in your sketchbook. Hey, what is it that I like about Rashid Johnson? Do I like the format? Do I like the colors? Get specific, and then printing out hard copies and collaging them into your sketchbook. Super exciting that Moises is on a rabbit hole for Julie Heffernan after this conversation. Thank you so much for the super chat, and I'm so excited that you're excited about a new artist. So I really like the collage part of this because it's just fun and it looks so cool, <laughs> doesn't it? Like just putting all these images together from art history. Yeah, and I think that like, it's a great way of like remembering things. Cause if you see it on a slideshow or if you see it in a museum, you're oversaturated with imagery and information, but having it in your sketchbook, it's like personal. It's now a part of your property. And I think it's a great way of like making that permanent and mean something to you. There's a lot of art history resources out there. 
these are the ones that we're going to recommend for various reasons. The first one is Smart History, which is sort of like the art history version of ArtProf in that it's 100% free. It's all run by bona fide art historians. And one of my colleagues who taught art history at a private art school, he said that he stopped using textbooks. He said he just uses Smart History now. And I was like, wow, that's quite an endorsement because art history has just been so textbook heavy for so long. It's a big site, though. There's a lot to go through, but I feel pretty confident about their content being well vetted and good quality because it's by people in academia. This is their field. It's not just some random person online. This is a podcast, The Lonely Palette. And this is somebody who actually goes into museums and talks to your average everyday person. Because Deep Deep, you have to be an art historian to be able to talk about art. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about art is that like, you shouldn't only be learning about it or talking about it to like academics. It's for everyone and should be for everyone. So everyone should have the right and the freedom to talk about it. I think that's the best way of learning about it. Khan Academy also has a very extensive art history section that you can check out. And this YouTube channel, it's not active anymore, but they do have a lot of videos on contemporary art and art history. So check that out. And this is my favorite museum website because there's a lot of writing, but it's very visual. It's really easy to find things. I found some of the museum websites to be just a mess, but this one from the Metropolitan, I think is really good. This is one called Great Art Explained. It's another YouTube channel. Their videos are fairly short. And then this one I have not really looked at that much, but people have told me about it. It's called Perspective, another YouTube channel that all of you can take a look at. And remember, as always, our Google slideshows are always available. The link is in the YouTube video description below. You can access all of our slideshows on artprof.org. We do have an artprof share today. Artprof share is where we showcase what our community is doing. And as all of you know, we do have this drawing basics track, the tracks program on artprof.org. It's a free sequence of structured video lessons and prompts so that if you like in our history, don't know where to start, we tell you exactly where to start. And this is so amazing. This is from Anastasia. I don't know how to say the last name correctly, Lavova who says, seriously performed based on the daily practice, my way of learning to draw started almost two years ago. And Anastasia said, I had the feeling this is my thing because I've been looking for an inclusive, self-paced, encouraging environment. Both finishing the track participating gave me strength and a boost in my art skills and tons of fun. That's what we like. And Anastasia says, one of the challenges, one more reason for me to take this track was my wish to let myself go in an artistic way. And now I can confirm I did it. Well, the drawing track, it is no small feat, as you can see from so many images from Anastasia. So what do you think, Deepti? How did Anastasia do? I think you did great. I mean, we're already, I think, as you're moving through these slides, seeing so much improvement in your work and um, boldness. And I feel like I can even see that fun coming out um, in your work. The improvement is really, really stellar. And I love what you said about working at your own pace and finding that love and excitement, because that's what a lot of times people on the Discord are like, is it okay if I don't do it exactly how you guys recommend? And 
yeah, of course, it's all, you know, recommendations work in a way that works for you. And you'll see these results. I mean, I think the results speak for themselves. It's awesome. This is just week four. We still have two more weeks to go through. It's really incredible to see how disciplined people are and people are not doing this for a grade. Anastasia did this because she really wanted to commit to the track and push her skills. And I think you can all see the extraordinary variety and range and the production. I mean, I love this final charcoal landscape which you can see here. I mean, aren't the marks gorgeous? Like look at that upper left corner and then all the scratchy lines in the middle. I mean, it, it's so rich and wonderful. So great job, Anastasia. We're so happy to see you accomplish so much. Remember, it's raffle time and the generous donor is gonna match your donation up to $2,000 through tomorrow, if you guys are going to pledge, you better pledge now, because I'm going to cry if we don't get to use up all of that $2,000 <laughs> in the matching donations. So you can go to the raffle page link is in the video description below. And we hope you will help us stay 100% free and accessible. Our Prof has a podcast is available on Spotify, and also on iTunes. And DP and I will be in the Art Prof discord. So we can chat more about awesome kick ass Art Prof people really finishing the track and doing great work. Oh, we're not doing a stage. Sorry. <laughs> Slides in the wrong place. Subscribe to our channel, like this video, leave us a comment, and a big thank you to our top Patreon supporters. And I really hope we can add a third slide, DP, because I just wanted to cry when all these people dropped and I had to take away the third slide. <laughs> I know. I can't believe it happened. We were so happy about the third slide and then it's, uh, it's okay. We'll get it back. Yeah. I hope so. So everybody, please pledge so we can stay accessible to everybody. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.